The question I have is, do we have our answer yet? From this series within a series that we're doing here, amazingly, you'd be surprised to know we're still studying the elementary principles, even though we've gone way, way down and off onto some other things. But eternal, it's, it's, is resurrection and eternal judgment. That is the end of the elementary principles. That's number five and number six. But the question of this mini-series within some other series within another series somewhere is, is our hope in heaven? Have we answered that? Last week we learned in undying souls, and I think that is probably the most significant part of Yeshua's usage of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the main thing that we can take away from it, despite all of the things that people want to put onto it, is that Yeshua, in some tacit approval, did demonstrate that there is a life after this one when we die, that our souls go somewhere. And also he talked a whole lot about how to be good in this world and how that affects the next one. And ultimately, we will get to that as part of the conclusion. But, you know, from, from Pharisaic theology, that's... that's Basically, what Yeshua was talking about, and that's not, we're not going to rehash that because we've already talked about that multiple times, but is the answer, is our hope in heaven? Do we know where we go when we die and what happens next? Well, sort of. Sort of, we know that we've talked about the immediate afterlife of the soul, but that's only part. That is not the end, right? There's, a, there's an eternal destiny. All of the things with Sheol and, and souls and Hades and all this other kind of stuff, that is, that is temporary. It is informed by Jewish Torah foundation. But remember, we are an apostolic community. We are a messianic community. We look at the words of Yeshua and the words of the disciples. So all of our answers must come from what they taught. Those places that we have talked about, paradise, Gehenna, they are not the final destination. Wherever our loved ones may be, our grandparents, our parents, all of them, they will not stay there. Sheol, paradise, Gehenna, death, Hades, God forbid, any Gehenna-ish. But, but, but all of those things will be swallowed up, the Bible says. Death itself will be swallowed up. Death and Hades will be thrown into where? This lake of fire, this mysterious thing we haven't even started to talk about yet. But those things are going away. And that is part of what's elementary for us to know. And yet we don't know very much about it. We're so very confused by thousands of years of really weird stuff that has been taught. Really weird stuff. So today, though, <clears throat> well, let, let's summarize it with Yeshua's words. Truly, truly, when he says that, you better listen. He's about to speak some truth, brother. Truly, truly, I say to you, the time is coming and even now has arrived when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The resurrection and the judgment. Today, some resurrection. Next week, eternal destinies. And then amazingly, we will come to the end of two series at one time. Will you be excited? 
I hope you're still along for the ride. I'm, in, I'm enjoying learning. I'm, I'm sh sharing way too much information. I realize that. I was looking over my notes and I was like, they're not going to make it through half of this before Roger's asleep. <laughs> but I'm, I want to I whittle it down because this is a really, this, this applies to all of us and it's so important. But, you know, there, there are no, I talk about concluding, there are no definitive conclusions, really. We don't have many that make it back from this journey. Um, and none of us in here, other than maybe one person I've talked to, have actually had anything close to a journey toward and come back. So we don't get a lot of conclusive information. But in the end, all of this, my friends, everything I teach you is always to help you do two things. Be committed in your faith and you're your walking out your faith now on this side of the world and a great amount of expectation and hope for the world that is coming. That's our promise. So that's what all of this is really about, you know. And, and, and Jewish theology, uh, a recap of the understanding of destination at death. There are three groups. There are the righteous, there are the wicked, and there are the in-betweeners, the, the middlers. Okay. The completely wicked are, are written where? Written where? In the book of death. And they go into Gehenna. They go into hell. They go into the fire where the fire, Gehenna's fire is 60 times hotter than Macon's fire. <laughs> Though sometimes it doesn't feel like that. But, but, but their fate actually varies in, mess, in, in Jewish thought. It varies, these, these people. Sometimes they are completely burned up and destroyed. There's a very small percentage of the most wicked who find their way into Jewish theology and somehow or another they stay around. God's not done punishing the most wicked. That's one thought. The other is that they'll all be burned up and cast about as ashes under the feet of the righteous. The, the, the lifers, the book of lifers, obviously we know what they're doing. They're living, they're living the good life. They're partying. They're having a great time. And the in-betweeners, the intermediates. Well, again, a, a, a range of thought here. Sometimes, and this has become the prominent view in Judaism from Rabbi Akiva, uh, born in about 50 CE, 50 AD, so not too far removed from Yeshua, but the, the idea we talked about of a purgation, a time where the soul goes into the fire of Gehenna for some period, but Akiva said, no, no one can be there for longer than 12 months. Okay, and then, then they get out, except for the desperately wicked. So it's, it's, does that, that makes perfect sense, right? You with me? You got a pretty solid line on Jewish theology on death? Good. No one does. And that pales in comparison to the Christian understanding of life after death, which I'm so excited to talk about. So excited. But this in-betweener, this, really, this is really an, a, an interesting thing because clearly the New Testament and apostolic theology doesn't mention purgatory. We don't have that kind of thing. That idea is absent, you know? 
But it's also not dismissed in the New Testament. And as a matter of fact, there are some scriptures that when you read Yeshua's words, make you think crazy things like no one will get out until he has paid the last dina or denarii or whatever the thing is. There's some things, I don't want to confuse you, but it's important to realize that the apostolic theology we subscribe to doesn't make room for this purgation and soul cleansing thing, but at the same time, there's no clear opposition to this idea, which was very prevalent in Jewish thought. That will make sense. Just tuck that away, file that for the moment. Okay? But, and you'll remember, hopefully, Again, I've given you probably more than anyone can remember. The discussion of Hillel and Shammai, where this this three-person thing is based on the Daniel text, one of the oldest, uh, uh, the, probably, the Old Testament text that confirms or talks about resurrection, where Daniel says, Many of them who sleep in the dust shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and contempt. Now, the soul sleep contingency, you know what soul sleep is, right? That all of this stuff that we've talked about, that's not true, that the soul stays with the body or just goes to sleep, and at the resurrection, will come back. Body and soul resurrected. And there are a lot of people within Messianic Judaism who who say that, that there is no afterlife until resurrection, okay? And, and while I've actually never said that couldn't be the case, again, I don't know these things with certainty. Um, our studies have certainly shown that, you know, Yeshua's usage of the parable, the rich man and Lazarus, that seems to make a, a different point. So you'd have to give some credence to abandoning that consideration. But Nachmanides, the Ramban, a later Jewish mind, very influential book called The Gate of Reward, The Rambam lays out this three-part blueprint, the righteous, the wicked, the in-between. Now, that concept should sound very familiar to you. Anybody ever been to a high holiday service on Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur? Okay, good. If you haven't, your opportunity is just around the corner because Rosh Hashanah starts 9-6, September 6, I think. What happens during the high holidays? What does the Mishnah and Jewish tradition talk to us? Why are they called the days of awe? Why are they called Yom Hadin, the day of judgment, Rosh Hashanah, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, and the ten days in between? What that is, is the books are opened in heaven. The books are opened. And what are the books? The book of life, the book of death, and the book of in-between, which is where most of us find ourselves on Yom Kippur. What, 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 what? I'm going to heaven, Rabbi brother. This has nothing to do with the afterlife. Yom Kippur is for this life next year. Okay, hear me. Yom Kippur has nothing to do with the afterlife. Did you hear that? Yom Kippur doesn't have anything to do with the afterlife. It's about, God, I know that I have not done the best I could do this year. Rosh Hashanah, the books are opened. Yom Kippur, the books are closed. And everybody who's in the in-betweens phase, 
ends up in one of those books. And your hope is that by your prayers, by your repentance, something Yeshua was a pretty big fan of, and something that we should be doing daily anyway, all of the prayers give opportunity for repentance, but through that, you're saying, God, I want to do better. And I'm going to start over. And if you just, you know, give me another life. Oh, and by, while you're at it, I wouldn't mind having a, you know, better paycheck and not get sick and all of these other kinds of things. But that's the point. Those are the three areas at Yom Kippur. Did I tell you that has nothing to do with your eternal life? Just want to make sure. Why do I joke like that? Because that is one of the greatest, uh, one of the most common accusations against messianics in, in doing things in the high holidays. Why would you do that? Jesus already forgave you. You're going to heaven, man. It's not about that. Okay? But my point there was that we see very close connection. The book of the in-between and these, these three categories. And for references to some other books being writing in books, Moses says, listen, God, if you're not going with us, blot me out of the book you've written. What is that book? The book of life. Psalm 69, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Malachi 3, a book of remembrance was written before him. You're written in the book of life or death. All of that stuff derives from the subject matter we're talking about here, which actually is about life after death. So there's a connection, Yom Kippur and final judgment. There's a connection. You see it? The three areas, you see it? You with me? Okay, good. Good, good, good. And that is the language of judgment that Hillel and Shammai discuss. The righteous and the wicked being inscribed and sealed. So around here on the high holidays, you'll hear people say, Gemar Chatima Tova. May you be inscribed for good. So all of this stuff, very, very Jewish. Apostolic theology. Judgment, resurrection. Luke 10, 20. Where does Yeshua say we should rejoice that our names are written? In heaven, in, the, in God. Your names are written in God. Rejoice. Revelation 20. Then it gets really good. Revelation 20, and I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. That's a weird thing to have in there. I thought what we do doesn't matter anymore. Hang tight to that. We'll, we'll talk about that over the next two weeks. Books are opened. It says books are open. How many books are books? I don't know, but more than one. And the book of life is opened. So at least three books, right? Sound familiar? I would suggest exactly three, the book of life, the book of death, and one more. And my goodness, if we consider the high holiday story that I just told you, would it even be, could it possibly be that the third book is some type of in-between book? What is it? File that in the same file I told you to file the other thing. 
I can't wait to talk about it. But we have to, we have to talk about this resurrection thing. In apostolic theology, there are more than one resurrections, right? There are more than one. In Judaism, there is a resurrection. And it comes at the beginning of the Messianic age. And that's it. And the Messianic age rides us right into, into the world to come. Well, that's true that the Messianic age does ride us right into the world to come. But apostolic theology teaches that there's a resurrection at the beginning of the Messianic age. And when? A judgment, a great judgment involving a resurrection at the end. So apostolic theology, which we subscribe to and believe, two resurrections. Not everyone believes that. A lot of people don't believe that. Um, but, but that's okay. There is one resurrection of the dead in, in, in Jewish eschatology. That's an important point. Okay? And as I said, when we consider these ideas of you know, the wicked, the, the desperately wicked, in Jewish theology, not everyone's coming back. Not everyone is going to be a, a, a part of a resurrection. But apostolic theology believes in a universal resurrection for the entire world. That's one key point I want you to get that distinguishes apostolic and Jewish theology. One universal resurrection. Everyone's coming back, but not at the same time. And we, as disciples of Yeshua, we get to come back early. Why? Because would you really believe that we're going to miss the thousand-year party? That's part of the gig, man. <laughs> the first resurrection. Listen, the words of the master to tell us who comes first. John 5.25. Truly, truly, I say to you, the time is coming and given uh, and now has even arrived when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Just as the Father has life in himself, so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. It says again, I'll read it, those when the dead hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is the resurrection of the righteous. When does it happen? At the return of Messiah. At the return of Messiah, and we read about him coming on the clouds of heaven, and the souls meet him, and they're resurrected with their bodies, and there is a massive resurrection of the righteous at Yeshua's first coming. And we're a part of that if we're with Yeshua. Paul calls us in Messiah. Those in Messiah, Paul refers to it as. We'll talk about that, but... In other words, they hear and respond, which gives a little bit of, of new context to that, to that place where Yeshua is having a conversation with the Pharisees and they're saying, doggone it, man, are you the Messiah? Show us. He says, I've already told you through my works. But then he says something interesting to our point. He says, the sheep, my sheep hear my voice and they know, right? So he says, they'll hear my voice and they will rise. And we are his sheep, and we know his voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. The Talmud says it this way in Sanhedrin 92. The righteous who the Holy One, blessed be he, will restore to life, will never return to their dust. 
And then John continues. So we've got this resurrection of the righteous. We heard the Son of Man and we rose, right? And then John continues and says this. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for the time is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the bad deeds to a resurrection of judgment. There that is again. How did that get in the New Testament? This stuff about deeds. And that actually having some impact on your location of resurrection. Have you thought through these things? They're difficult to think through. And I have had to really pray and ask God if there are things I should even, should I open my mind up before you and tell you all the weird and crazy things that go through it (laughs) as I'm processing my way through the Bible and trying to be a teacher? I believe I have his permission to do that. But that is a strange thing. I'll read it again. Those who committed the bad deeds to a resurrection of judgment, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. This is when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. This is everyone else. This is the final resurrection. This is everyone else at the end of the Messianic age. You with me? Good. Here's another favorite. Uh, Where is this? 1 Corinthians 15, I believe. But the fact is, Messiah has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man death came, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Messiah all will be made alive. That's a, that's a, you know what universalists are, right? Universalists believe that everyone, God is going to get everyone fixed. That's a key text. That all will be made alive in Messiah. But he says this right after, but each in his own order, okay? Each in his own order. There's going to be a resurrection. Messiah, the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to our God and Father when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. Can I just make one side note, even though I'm throwing all this information at you? That's also a crazy scripture if you really read what it just said. You know, when people talk about Jesus is God and and don't really understand the theological implications of this, and we have Trinitarian explanations and all kinds of crazy things, that text right there is also difficult because it says Yeshua takes the kingdom, puts everything under his feet, and then hands it back to God. We'll talk about that in another series sometime. I think we already have, actually, in the Messiah series. But it's okay. Put that away and come right back to where we were. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15. Each will resurrect in his own order. Messiah first. Then those who are with him at his coming. Those who are in Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to our God. Each in his own term. That word term, tagmati in Greek, or however you pronounce it, I'm sorry, my Greek is not very good, is a, real, is a military term. It means a rank, like a squadron, a platoon. So each, the resurrection is divided into this, and each one in his own squadron. And there are three groups mentioned there. 
first Messiah. And then he says, then, then, okay? Messiah will be made alive, each in his own order. Messiah, the first fruits. After that, those who are Messiahs at his coming. Then comes the end. Now that, that progress of words, courtesy of Dr. Walter Kaiser, a beautiful uh, scholar, the word then which is represented by the words that always go together in Greek, this, then, then, then. These two things are progressions. They are routinely found together. This happens, then this happens. An example of that usage would be that the first the blade, and then the ear, and then the full corn of world of wheat doth appear. First this, then this, then this. But there's a period of separation between the blade becoming the corn and all that other kind of stuff. There's a clear distinction in the text that there will be this resurrection, period of messianic age, and a second one. Okay? Driving that point just solidly down the line because some people, as I said, disagree with the idea that we have uh, this, this multiple resurrection theology. We do. It's in there. And that span between the first and second resurrection is the Messianic kingdom. Thousand-year reign. And apostolic theology then makes room for the judgment of all. Righteous, the wicked, everybody in between, even if at different times. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Messiah so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. I don't think we're going to be able to get around talking about these deeds. They're everywhere when you're talking about the judgment and the resurrection. But today we conclude with the easy stuff. Easy stuff. The resurrection of the righteous. I say it's easy. Why? Because we have the Bible that tells us about it. The Torah speaks of redemption in the kingdom. The prophets most certainly do. All of the prophetic descriptions that lay out a time when Israel has been restored to the Lord, like we read today in Isaiah 49 and last week in Isaiah 40 and all of these haftarot uh, that we're reading right now. We read in Ezekiel that the temple's been restored. We read in Zechariah that, that Yeshua is, is ruling from Zion. We read that the Torah is going out from Zion in the Messianic age. We read that the nations come up to Jerusalem for the festivals. I mean, man, this is what's happening during the first resurrection, during the Messianic age. We don't have to guess about it, sort of like what we're doing about everything else I'm talking about. We don't have to guess. It's right there for us. We know what to expect. And we get to be part of that. It's easy to understand the kingdom because we have Jewish eschatology and teaching about the kingdom. Extravagant meals and wine and dinner parties with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and garments, great garments and, you know, eating sea monsters and huge hippopotami. Hippopotamuses? Hippopotami. I don't know. I told you my Greek wasn't good. Granted, if you read a lot of rabbinic theology, sometimes you'll see the world to come and the messianic age kind of all get garbled up in together. 
right? It's, it's hard to make a distinction, but the world to come comes after this thousand-year reign. We have the Gospels. We have apostolic scriptures. We have the, the apocalypse of John. We have all of Yeshua's parables about the kingdom. We have an understanding of the millennial age. Though there is a huge amount of debate in Christian theology among various denominations about the kingdom. Do you know why the kingdom got written out of uh, a good bit of Christian theology? People get tired of hearing this. But it's an effect of replacement theology. That's why that happened. Because... If all of these promises are made to the Jewish people and all of these things are going to happen in the Messianic age, the church had to somehow supersede the Jewish people, had to get them out of the picture. And so therefore the church became in some way Israel and all these promises became prophetically toward the nations and it just eradicated the whole Jewish eschatological messianic age kingdom thing. And thankfully, it worked its way back in in later Christian theology. But still, a lot of people don't really get the kingdom. That's why when you talk to a lot of people about what happens when you die and what you're waiting for, they say, I'm going to heaven to float on a cloud and play a harp with a fat winged angel with rosy cheeks. And we'll probably eat candy, little chocolate-covered candies. That's an effect of removing the kingdom theology, all the things that Yeshua said. Does that make sense? That also was a side note, which I probably should not have said. Uh, because now you're even more confused. You're not. You're with me, right? Good. I'm working my way to the end of this. Yeshua is the king of the kingdom. And that's what he said was arriving with his first coming. Repent, for the kingdom is on the brink of arriving. But it did not arrive. Right? Another Christian eschatological concern. People say that this is the kingdom. Like the kingdom came with Yeshua and we're living in the kingdom right now. And I've told you, and I heard Aaron Eby say it this way best. If this is the kingdom, no offense, I want my money back. If this is what all these prophecies and if this is it, if eating if if all of the things about the um, the the meal and the eating delicious things, if that was like some prophetic thing that's been realized at Zaxby's, I'm out. I want a real party with Yeshua and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This isn't the kingdom. The kingdom was inaugurated with Yeshua's third cup blessing. And Yeshua brought a, a realization of the kingdom. What was Yeshua's defining kingdom action? Someone guess. What was the thing that he did above all other things that confirms that he was the one who would bring the kingdom? He resurrected from the dead. He resurrected from the dead, the first fruits, and he'd never died again. And neither will we. But I have this question. 
I always wonder, in Messiah, does that mean that Abraham, David, and all the cool cats, I mean, they're there too, right? Because we talked last week about the harrowing of hell and all that weird stuff that, that goes on. But, but absolutely they're there. They are absolutely there. Matthew 8, remember, your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day, and he saw it and rejoiced. What do you think he saw? He saw Yeshua ruling and reigning from Jerusalem and said, there's my boy. Can't wait to be with you. And, 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 and Matthew 8, I say that many will come from the east and the west, recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So they're going to be in the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven starts with Messiah, and we're in the kingdom of heaven. So yeah, they're going to be there. David certainly prophesied the days of Messiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, they all saw him. They'll all be there. And interestingly, so will regular people, though. This is a really weird consideration. There will be regular people walking around in the kingdom in addition to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and us. I mean, assuming that the Messianic kingdom, I don't know, I don't think it's coming tomorrow, but I don't know. We'll be part of the resurrected. And so we'll be walking around Jerusalem and other people who are being born during the thousand year messianic age will be walking around Jerusalem. And I loved, <laughs> I listened to Daniel Lancaster do a, do a thing about heaven and hell one time and he said, and, and I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but it's not going to be some weird thing like where you know, people are walking around and they're like, oh, look, it's Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> I mean, our bodies, the resurrected body is a different type of body. Okay. It's still a real body. How do we know this? Yeshua. We also know that this body can do things that it can't currently do, like walk through doors and stuff. And stiff, as Nacho would say. So... <laughs> There's a difference, and we're having a, we're having a sort of really, I don't even know. I don't know what the word is to describe what that would be like. To have Yeshua, think about that. Yeshua before you, in front of you, in the temple, like in the ruling, and all of these other people, and we're hanging out, and they're, they're having babies and doing stuff. Regular people are living life, and... Isn't that crazy? But that's what it sounds like it's going to be. I'm excited. I really like that. I'm excited. And I hope I do see Abraham Lincoln. I have questions. <laughs> I wonder what Abraham Lincoln would think about our country today. You ever have those kind of weird thoughts? I don't think he'd be very happy. But we know that the world continues for a thousand years. And so those people will be alive when Yeshua returns. There's still life, there's death, there's birth. And, and, and those people are going to fill in the story in a couple of ways at the end, which are really unique things to think about, which we will do over the next two weeks. That is Messianic Jewish theology of the kingdom of heaven. That is your theology if you are a Messianic Believer. But that's the easy part. It's what comes next that gets heavy, man. 
When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. That's a weird thing. Why does he, why does he have to be around again? Why, does, why is he there for a thousand years? But anyway, he's going to be. He'll be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them and the devil who deceived them was thrown, here it is, into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. How long is day and night forever and ever? Don't answer that. It's not quite as easy as it seems. These are all things to make you have to come back and listen to what we're going to say next. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled. There was no place found for them. Now, you think the kingdom's intense, that description I just gave you. Can you imagine this moment? Earth and heaven, his witnesses, God's witnesses, fled before him. This is the God of the universe and the great white throne judgment. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's pretty intense. There are three groups. The righteous, written in the book of life at the first resurrection the wicked resurrected at the second resurrection and thrown into the lake of fire, and the third group, those in the second resurrection, found written in the book of life. And there, it gets more difficult. And this, this I think, is probably what we've all been waiting for in this series. The second resurrection, the great white throne judgment, eternal destiny, heaven or hell. And all the world will answer for what they've done. Even with Yeshua, those words give me pause. I don't know if they do for you. I have full faith in our 
salvation and the end of the story. But yet, when I read Revelation 20, I take pause and stand humbled before God, realizing that every day, every moment, every step is recorded in a book. With God's help, I hope to shine some light and we can make it through this together over the next couple of weeks and conclude. I'm going to challenge you a lot, as I have been challenged. And I'm going to ask you to come with your mind and your eyes and your ears open and your steel-toed theology boots on. as we journey to hell and back (laughs) together. And as I said in the beginning, I I know what this is about ultimately. It is that God has something for us all that he wants us to really know. And that is the hope that we have in him. And we will end up there, I promise you. You with me? Shabbat shalom.